Good evening, Wisdom Seekers, and welcome to the fifth edition of the Wisdom Track podcast from the British Association of Anger Management, or BAM for short. The Wisdom Podcast is where we take a holistic look at our core values of increasing self-awareness, honing emotional intelligence, and learning communication skills. You can find us over at angermanage.co.uk. And actually, it's a special time right now because from the 1st of December, we're holding Anger Awareness Week. You get on angermanage.co.uk between the 1st and the 7th of December. You'll find all kinds of free resources uh, to help you keep your cool over Christmas. Uh, you'll, we've actually got one kit, which includes instructions for how to run your own family sharing circle. So there you go. No Bond movie. Instead, you're going to have a group therapy session. Uh, but all that is going over on the website. Loads of free resources. We're also shining a light this year on passive aggressive sufferers. Uh, often people with passive aggression, they turn their anger inwards. Uh, they're actually more in danger of uh, getting depressed, for example, than active aggressive sufferers who put it simply kind of let it all out and um, passive aggressive sufferers they often don't find their way to our programs as quickly as the active aggressive sufferers so we're hoping to help them out a bit and also you know shine a light on the condition help them understand and help them know what they need to do to get help so that's anger awareness week Lots of free resources for keeping your cool over Christmas, plus lots of help for passive aggression sufferers as well. Uh, let's get on with the podcast. Uh, so it's the Wisdom Track. You can subscribe to the Wisdom Track over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and something called Buzzsprout. And if you're watching today on YouTube or Facebook, then please remember to like comment and subscribe. Sounds like a tiny thing, but actually it helps us enormously when it comes to getting our message out in front of more people. So our topic today is forgiveness. The podcast is called Hope Springs Eternal Forgiveness and Reconciliation. Uh, my name is Steve Beale. I'm a journalist uh, I first met Mike Fisher, uh, the founder of the British Association of Anger Management, when I wrote a feature about anger management for the men's magazine Arena. Uh, if you're very keen to hear more from me, you can get the latest issue of Hipster Bible, Dazed and Confused, uh, out now. Uh, I've got a story in there. Uh, but let's meet the actual experts on today's podcast. Um, so we're talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, I think forgiveness has become so distant from the human experience. Maybe it always was. Um, we, we almost only associate it with religious people. Uh, and maybe it's just become really hard to get our heads around if you've seen the Netflix show Midnight Gospel, 
Duncan Tressel, the host, talks about forgiveness being the pull-up bar of spirituality in the sense that it's so difficult, but when you actually get it done, it's intensely rewarding. Uh, So to tackle this difficult subject, we've got a very special expert panel today. Uh, All are affiliated with Inside Circle, an organization focused not only on corporate emotional intelligence work, but also with work in some of America's most notorious maximum security jails. If you've seen the award-winning documentary, The Work, which is out now on Amazon Prime, um, the people who made it also made Free Solo, the Oscar-winning climbing documentary. So it's super high quality. Um, Then you'll see Inside Circle in action. Um, Now our own, Snake Bloomstrand has worked extensively with Inside Circle, and he's here today. Hey, Snake. Good morning, or good afternoon for you. you, Well, you can tell (laughs) tell this afternoon it's getting dark already. Uh, How are you feeling, Snake? Great. Ready to go. Uh, So you've gone to the effort of arranging an audience with some of the guys from Inside Circle. Thank you so much for that. Let's bring them in now. So firstly, Jim Mitchell. Afternoon. Nice to be here. Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us today. So Jim has made a huge contribution towards the quality of leadership in the world. Now, Mankind Project Leader Emeritus, he designs and facilitates leadership coaching and training programs for corporate clients. Jim lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and he's come to us fresh from a two-day retreat that he's been presenting, socially distanced style. Thank you, Jim, for uh, for, for making it here today when you must be completely beat. Cheers. Happy to be here. Next, Aaron Burris. Aaron is a former resident of Folsom Maximum Security Prison in California, who served 22 years of a life sentence. Since release, he's become a father, husband, and entrepreneur. He is the business development chief of Inside Circle, the organization that's grown from the CSP Sacramento Men's Support Group of Folsom State Prison that is featured in the multiple award-winning documentary, The Work. Hey, Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Good afternoon to you. Cheers. So lastly, Dave Klaus. Dave, hey, Dave has served as the public defense attorney in Almeida County for 24 years and also for the Ohio State Public Defender's Office before that. He speaks often about emotional resilience and secondary trauma in the profession and has a coaching practice for lawyers and others dealing with burnout and anxiety. I can let you know that he is also a black belt in jujitsu and a regular at the Burning Man Festival. (laughs) Snake tells me that your costume needs to be seen to be believed. He would not show me, but maybe if people Google (laughs) Dave Klaus, Burning Man, I'm hoping as well that there's some kind of martial arts 
aspect to this costume and maybe one day Dave we will dance together beneath the effigy <laughs> I'd, I'd sure like that to happen yeah like, like to get back out to the desert so snake maybe you could start by giving us a bit of context telling us how you got involved with these guys and what they do yeah uh i've known most of these men for many years now and one of the things we share in common is sitting in group circles together and today we're going to try something different with the wisdom podcast and that we're going to let you into what that looks like uh we're going to do a small circle right here between the panelists the topic that we chose for this podcast is uh very relevant today, where we talk about the drama of prison, or in Dave's case, defending people. Uh, all of us are involved in different ways with people getting a grip on forgiveness, resentment, reconciliation. We're all familiar with this terrain, having worked with hundreds, thousands of different people as they sort that through for themselves. The purpose of the Wisdom Track podcast really is to offer up bits of wisdom that we have culled in our own lives and move on from that. So I'm very pleased and honored to have all these men here because I know not only are they experienced, they're men I trust and men I know have taken things in and distilled wisdom out of it. So I look forward to our conversation today. Um, a couple words on the whole notion of forgiveness become personal in a world that is so changed at the moment. We're all trying to adapt. We're all short-tempered. Uh, for many of us, we're on top of each other at home with kids and family. For others, we're tremendously isolated. And so it's real fertile ground for those three topics, to say nothing of many others. We'll try and stay on track with this. And our topic today is forgiveness, resentment, and reconciliation. So how I'm going to start this off is like we start off men's group is just with a brief check-in. Where are you as you sit here right now? And I'll start that off. In ramping up to this, I was thinking about one of the lessons that I learned along the way. Many, many years ago, I was in a very abusive relationship, both physically and emotionally abusive, and suffered through that shocky sort of feeling that comes. How can this person love me and abuse me at the same time? And every day for me when I was in that relationship was a matter of forgiving whatever had gone on the day before. And what I discovered out of that, the relationship did end. And it was, as all relationships that are ending, it was complicated. But what I came away from was that exercise of forgiving every day not only revealed that my heart was a lot stronger than I'd given it credit for, that I did have the capacity to forgive at a much greater level than I ever imagined, and that at a certain point, 
all the forgiveness in the world wasn't enough. That relationship needed to end. So as I'm sitting here right now, that's on my mind, that relationship. And I'll check in with that. So mm -hmm. next. So, okay. Okay. I'll check in. I'll check in. I'll check in. So where I feel about where I'm at in terms of forgiveness is I have terrible trouble with codependency and people pleasing. And I only have two modes, right? One is desperately running around trying to please everyone and not taking any of my own feelings into account. The other one is putting my armor up and being what, for me anyway, counts as a hard ass and bullying people essentially or trying to would would probably be more accurate because they've got more self-esteem than me and they know how to <laughs> react probably to something like that. So that's where I am with forgiveness. I worry about forgiving as, much, as desperate as I am to do it, as much as I can see how it's for my benefit rather than those I feel resentment towards. But I worry that the minute I do that, my armor's going to come down and I'm going to be back to people pleasing. Hmm. Thank you. Jim, um, you know what it brings up for me? First of all, he's checking in grateful. Um, really, really glad the work is slowly returning and things like that. Uh, the lockdown has been pretty hard on me the last six to eight months. And I'm a hardcore introvert. I can tolerate a lot of aloneness, but even this has been too much. You know, for me, the, the, the idea of forgiveness mostly applies to me because it Close, you know, six foot three and 250 pounds. I'm not sure how many stone that is, Steve. But, you know, I haven't had a lot of people kind of come up on me in that kind of an abusive way. But what I recognize in great portions of my life, I beat the hell out of myself for different shortcomings and, and shortfalls and, you know, judging that I was fucking things up, not doing things right. And so the idea of forgiveness, uh, you know, really helps me remember uh, that it's not just about the other. A lot of times it is mostly about ourselves. I'm in. Thanks, Jim. Aaron, uh, I'll check in saying that forgiveness for me is, uh, there's a dichotomy here where I've hurt people and I've also been hurt in my life. And when I've hurt people, I want to be forgiven. And then the people that have hurt me, why have I held on to not forgiving? For so long there's it's almost a it's almost a real paradox uh but the only way i can relate it in my life is through a metaphor it's like leaving elementary school and going to junior high and you go to math class and all of a sudden it's not two plus two and four plus four it's a plus b equals c and you're going what is this you know forgiveness has been like that for me figuring out and puzzling out the elementary pieces that make it to find the solution for the balance for me between both where I've both been hurt and I've hurt people. Um, I'm also really grateful to be here today and have this discussion. And the one thing about forgiveness that, that I've struggled with and has taught me the most is how to give it to someone who I, in my judgment, doesn't deserve it. Mm. How, how do I get there? And I've managed to sometimes and succeeded and sometimes I failed. Um, it's an ongoing process, but I'm in. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll check in. <clears throat> um, I'm excited to be here. I'm really glad to be sitting with all you you, you great guys. Um, 
Um, you know, like you said, Jim, my, my heart's been upset and hurt, obviously, during this pandemic period. I mean, uh, both the isolation and the and for me, the, 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 the internal headspace that comes up, I'm not as much of an introvert. So when I'm on my own too much, things really get buzzing mm-hmm. in my head and I start to find all things to critique about myself and the world and others. And so that this this opportunity for forgiveness keeps coming up for me, uh, whether it's with my wife or with my kids who are teenagers, um, but especially with myself. And um, and as a as a public defender for for uh, for many years, um, I've also seen the, what happens when there's a, a rupture in the in the in the social contract. Somebody gets hurt, somebody gets murdered or raped, or something really bad happens, and it's almost like our system takes away the possibility of forgiveness when those ruptures happen. They, they outsource it to the justice system, which then screws it up massively. Um, and so if anything, I see in that system, forgiveness when it happens, happens despite all of these structures and systems that have been developed as opposed to being inspired by it. So I'm really curious how that plays out both in our, in American culture right now, where we've got essentially an abusive family system, like you were describing, Snake, where both, you know, we've got people that just don't like each other, it seems like. How are we going to possibly find some way to work through that and find a new connection? I'm in. You know, let me pull on that thread for a minute, because it's one of the things as I started focusing on this topic, and I allude to it in the blog post ahead of time, too, is forgiveness implies you want to maintain a relationship. Whether you're asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness, it implies that you want to stay in relationship. And a missing piece of this whole thing is in order for that to happen, you need to be accountable. (laughs) Somehow there has to be an admission that there was some misdeed or some insult that transpired. Now, if someone's asking me for forgiveness and I'm not willing to give it because I can't stand the behavior and I want the behavior to end, then we're at a deadlock and the relationship really can't survive. So there's something about forgiveness isn't a given and it isn't just to ease our own souls one way or another. Forgiveness is to a certain degree conditional. If I go back to the example I gave before, I wasn't willing to live in an abusive relationship and needed to end it. I was unwilling to forgive the behavior. And in a strange sort of way, I felt stupid and judged myself. And I had to forgive myself for being in that relationship and continuing into it. So there's so many different facets of it. But that notion of, and I'm trying to form this up into a question that we can actually talk about, Mm. Um, you know, uh, what about when forgiveness is not tied to behavior and wanting a change in behavior? When you reach that deadlock and in... you know, how many times sitting in circles in Folsom where men who are doing time have said, no, I'm beyond forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. Mm. There's nowhere to go with that either. 
whether I forgive another or forgive myself, there are times where it simply is not in the cards. Two things kind of occur to me, Snake, and one of them is there is one relationship that in that forgiveness dynamic that we do want to continue and go forward, and, and that's the relationship I have with myself. Right. So part of the act of forgiveness is to get that relationship upright again inside of me so that I can move forward. Uh, you know, for example, when I was when I was married within within 14 months of being married, I started an affair that went on for four years. And, and in that course of time, I got life beat the hell out of me. And so it got me into a 12 step group where I learned to start telling the truth to myself. Hmm. And the minute I told that truth to my spouse, she took my 10 month old daughter and left. And so there was a place that for years after that, I just beat the crap out of myself. For, for the how I had fucked up the marriage, you know, what kind of man was I, what kind of husband was I, the pain I was going to cause my daughter now being distant from me, all of that. And so the thing that I had to learn the hard way as I started the work of forgiving, it was mostly about me. And how do I give myself permission to rebalance inside, come to terms with what I needed to learn, do the hard work of learning what I needed to learn about me that set that whole thing up, commit again to myself to, to do better and to not do that and to give myself kind of permission to go forward. Hmm. Um, without that, it's hard to go forward in a clean way, in a way that brings all of us into our own future, right? And so the, if I can't forgive me, let alone the other person, if there is one, there's a place where I just leave parts of me in the past all the time still stuck in that event. Hmm. And that means I don't have those pieces. I don't have that energy. I don't have that passion. I don't have that dy dynamic to be right here, right now, in this moment, actually fully engaging life. And so that to me is why at some point we, we all got to do a bit of forgiveness work. I had to, or I was just going to suffer from then on. Yeah. Dave, sorry. Yeah, that that really resonates with me, uh, Jim. And, uh, you know, one of the th ways I think about personal work, and especially in, like the men's work context is it's uh, it's like Rumi says, you know, your task is not to seek love. It's to find the barriers within yourself to love, you know. And so it's like I've got I'm this big bowl of gravy. I got tons of lumps. Right. And how do I kind of work out those lumps so that it, I can be smooth and clear and clean and, and show up in my life and really be present. And if, like you said, if I'm holding on to all the things I've messed up in my life, and there have been so many, so many things I've messed up in my life, if I'm holding on to that, it, it prevents me from being present right now. And so um, I, I'm curious, like I, I hear you, Snake, there's the relationship piece. But I, for me, a lot of it comes back to what am I doing for myself? And that's like, this question of, you know, can I forgive somebody I don't even know, you know, somebody in politics, somebody in the, in the office, somebody that's doing something that I, I, it, it, I don't personally know them, but they've affected me. Can I, can I let that go somehow? And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard. It's very hard to do that. And it's not always appropriate. I mean, one of the things that comes into this too is some things really are unforgivable, not because they're so heinous, but because they're inappropriate and they wound people. Mm. And so to simply forgive someone to get them out of your face because they're annoying, 
uh, sells both sides short. It sells me short, and it sells the other person short. So that's why I brought accountability mm -hmm. into this, too. There is some real accountability that needs to be leveled, not judgment, but accountability, being accountable for our own actions that figures prominently into forgiveness as well. Yeah, what you're saying really, it does resonate with me too. Forgiveness became this fortress of forgiveness that I locked myself out of, left the key inside. And I, you know, I had to begin to figure out how do I breach this fortress in my mind? That's how it worked for me. And, you know, I realized that an outright frontal assault really didn't do service. The, you know, the walls are too high for me. And that, you know, the patience of waiting it out did not work. I'm tapping my foot going, you know, relent, you know, within myself. So I really started looking at what that fortress was made of. And underneath it, I found judgment. I found huge piles of judgment about other people and about myself. And I began to dismantle those. You know, what? how do those judgments serve me? You know, what do they do? And the underlying truth for me that I found was that I seek emotional safety. And that forgiveness and denying that to myself and denying that to others kept me feeling safe. And as soon as I let go of that idea that I had to be safe and that, you know, the world may hurt me and I may hurt myself and I may hurt someone else and fall into that vulnerability and be accountable and go back to exactly what you're saying and say, all that may happen, but you're accountable for the consequences of your actions, intended and unintended, whatever they may be, you're accountable and own that piece for me. It was like in, in, the, in the metaphor of breaching the fortress, I became a sapper. I dug under, I attacked the foundation, pulled it out and entered the fortress through the basement. And then I really found out what was in the basement, what made it up. Most of my reasons to forgive came from my child, not to forgive came from my childhood. And the stubborn little person in me that went, mm -hmm. no, you say you love me and this is for my own good. All those little metaphors. And, but I really don't believe that. So it came back to belief. And once I had my little equation worked out, I could then start supplementing that and doing work and looking at it from a different perspective. And, you know, as Dr. McCleary says, I have to step outside of myself and step to the back of the hologram and be able to look at it from a, from a completely different angle. And I begin to unlock some pieces, but I still don't have the whole equation. It's almost like the, uh, the grand unified theories, you know, in physics. So Dave said something there I'd quite like to pick up on if it's cool, just about politics and how do we for, for, forgive the impersonal, as it were? How do we forgive an ideology? How do, how do we forgive the social apparatus? How do we forgive centuries of tradition? Uh, how yeah? How does this? How when it when it's not just another person who we've yeah had a conflict with? How how could we possibly approach that? It's, well, think, it's such a difficult one too because you know politics are so loaded right now. But just in what you just said, how I react to that in the moment is. There's accountability, but forgiveness isn't appropriate in that situation. It's just my opinion in the moment. There are certain politics, uh, policies that get instituted that I disagree with. 
I think, are damaging. And uh, forgive, it takes a whole nother issue, maybe reconciliation to agree to disagree. But forgiveness, as I'm sitting here, feels inappropriate in situations where it affects millions of people, policies that are basically against humanity, regardless of which political side you're on. We do hit on those issues. Jim, go ahead. Well, one of the things that, that occurs to me is, uh, in, in my mind, you know, I look at this issue of forgiveness as a two-part piece, right? It is about, uh, a, it's about the combination of forgiving myself for my participation in what happened and, and however I manifested that, and also sometimes about forgiving the other. I think what it helped, at least it helped me to, to, to not think about that as a 50-50 deal, that each side gets 50% of the forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's got to be 90% me forgiving me and 10% the other, because as you said, when it rises to, to, to culture and politics, I mean, I look at my own experience as an African-American man in a culture that has just perpetrated horror on people that look like me for three centuries. And so the idea that somehow I should just look out and forgive white culture for that is preposterous, right? And so that, but, and, and there's a place that to the extent that I can't move me forward, I'll remain hooked in that dynamic losing and leaking power the rest of my life. And so that's the place where that scale slides up that 90% of this is going to be about me giving me permission to move forward rather than somehow I can forgive white culture now. You know, I think about the situation with the native people here in this country, same thing, right? With the Asian people, same thing. But what happened in India and in South Africa, same thing. It is hard to, to, to it's hard to even make the ask that certain groups should in fact forgive oppressors. That is just not going to happen. But that group and everybody in it has to look at how that horror has manifested in them, whether it was just from dad and who he was or whether it was from the culture and who it was. I still have to look at how that horror has manifested, what it did to me, what I have to undo to give myself permission to go forward in all of my fullness. That was a big lesson to me because then it gave me permission to let go of this, this nonsense or somehow I should just be able to forgive all of these things for happening. It's like, nah, it doesn't roll like that. But I still have to do the internal work of, of resorting how it manifested in me and, and, and unhooking the pieces of me that are stuck in that dynamic so I can bring me forward. I'm in. You know, and I want to well, add, I wanna add to this notion that oftentimes we refer to Aaron's got woodpeckers, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, give, I give some elders. <laughs> we, we oftentimes on these calls refer to the work. And what do we mean by the work? Yeah. And Jim just articulated it beautifully. On one hand, there's this big picture of what's going on in the world that may affect us one way or another. On internal terrain. And being able to recognize that, be aware of it, and organize it. It's a, a two-horse cart. Uh, both function together. So when we say the work, the documentary, the work, 
is a great example of a very intense way of what we mean when we say do the work. Look at yourself. Reconcile what goes on inside you. And on the other hand, there's a larger social issue to this too, of which Dave's right in the middle of. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that's coming up for me is I'm noticing how uh, this connection between victimhood and forgiveness, right? Like if, yeah, if there's forgiveness, if it seems like forgiveness is called for, that's kind of like my model is there's a perpetrator and there's a victim. Somebody did something wrong. And so what I heard from you, Jim, and what you're just saying, Snake, it's like the accountability is part of that is letting go of this victimhood, right? Like I'm cleaning my own stuff up and re, uh, reimagining, reframing what happened in the situation so that I have power, so that I have accountability, I have choice. Part of that choice is to forgive or not, you know, that's, and, but so if, it, so if it comes out of that place, out of this like clarity of this is an unforgivable act and but i'm still cleaned up my own part then it's like i've gotten part of the way there um the the danger i see and this is what i see happening in the in the criminal court system mm. is that when people have been have been have been actually victims of crime then they they hold on to that role they hold on to that wound for forever sometimes saying i can't ever forgive what happened and really what they're doing is i i i think maybe partly is they're not cleaning up their own stuff they're getting stuck in that they're getting mm -hmm. stuck in that that trap um and maybe forgiveness is a way out of it maybe there's another way out of it i'm i'm, I'm curious i think that part of that is we've been we've began to facilitate victim offender dialogues and part of what you're saying is spot on dave um but the part of it is, is in my, my perception is that the judge <laughs> fundamentally functions on a precept that isn't written in there. That the idea that someone who hurts someone is taken away from society and why they're locked away, they'll be undergoing punishment or suffering. And somehow that's supposed to be enough to sustain the victim's healing. This person's being punished. This person's, you know, suffering and that should make you feel better. And the truth is that if we sit there and look at another human being suffering, once we're past the anger, initial anger of what happened, we're like, I don't want that person to hurt. No matter how bad they hurt me, I don't want them to hurt. And because it's hard to watch another human being really suffer. And it, even though in the justice system, it's a very, very slow process. It's almost like the old Chinese water torture, drop by drop by drop. I did 22 years for the taking of a human life. And it took me a long time to get to the place where I could begin to even look at forgiveness for myself and then begin to even empathize with the people that I took this man from. There was just this huge severance by the system. There's no connectivity and the there's never emotional closure in our justice system between the victim and the offender. The truth is the last time that I see my victim's family, I was standing in court being sentenced to life. After that, I did not have to be accountable to anything. I went to prison. I could put in my canteen list. I went to yard every day, played basketball, went to the hole, got in trouble. But I did not have to worry about those people because the justices had decided this is what they get. End of it. Part of the restorative justice principles, trust, care, respect, and humility. Where's the forgiveness piece in there when we teach that? How do we get to that? Not just... For me to, you know, I'm going to come down on the offender side on how do I teach myself not to forgive me, 
but how do I model what these people need so they can find that closing, that energy, that healing that they need? Mm-hmm. The first piece of accountability. It's not, I, I'm secondary in that because I have an accountability that I started that other people's needs need to come before mine in this instance. I have to, part of that is being accountable. Their needs, me being accountable is I'm accountable to their needs and working through that. And of course, at at all times, every human being is responsible for self first and take care of me. But my work is to get me to the place where I can meet that need in them because I've harmed someone. I didn't just harm one person. I harmed a family. I harmed a community. I I I harmed the world by this. And one of the biggest things for me that I that I found around accountability was I had read a police report when I was filing some legal paperwork to work on my case. And one of the smallest things was a woman was like a quarter mile away from where this happened. And she woke up in the middle of the night, but she called the police and said, I heard gunshots. And then reading how that scared her years later really touched me. I'm thinking this woman doesn't know me. She's not connected. She didn't see it, but I've affected her and she carries that fear. Hmm. How do I get forgiveness from that person? Yeah. You know. Well, you know, we're we're diving into a whole different area here. Not bad, just saying. You know, I, I oftentimes go back to so in South Africa they had the situation of apartheid. And apartheid ended and they did truth and reconciliation, the accountability portion of this whole uh, quotient we're talking about but from what i've heard in discussions is that but the healing didn't happen Mm. and so forgiveness is one part accountability is certainly a crucial part of it but i think the big mystery in front of us right now too is not only closure but how do we heal that both within ourselves and in our cultures and I don't have a good answer to it, but I see that's one of the topics that we neglect quite often is where's the healing. Hmm. Chaps, you all seem tremendously emotionally literate. Uh, how did you get so good at talking about your emotions? Is it because of the, the, the group work? And, and I called it group therapy uh, earlier, and I was wisely corrected. C- c- maybe you could talk a, a bit about what, what you guys do and how it's different to what we understand as therapy. Yeah, Aaron, why don't you take that? Um, so coming from like a psychological perspective culturally that I as a man need to go talk to someone about my problems inherently fuels this belief there's something wrong with me and I need to see a professional. There's been shaming in our culture. There's been blame. You know, it I feel less than that I have to confide in someone else. Trust issues. What we do, you know, if you want to loosely categorize it as therapy, you can. But it's really not what we do. What we do is we set in concert together and we share from an emotional vulnerable place. Therapy kind of has a clinical connotation to it where the work The work is self-directed and the work is all about me working on myself, the parts of myself where I'm hurt, where I've hurt people, areas that that I feel I need to improve on. And it's about raising emotional literacy and emotional verticality and understanding. 
And, you know, if I have to get clinical and throw a word on what we do, we do what's called direct experiential learning, setting in a circle. And then, you know, I delve within myself and I have this epiphany moment, this aha, this self-realization. And my, my, I move up a notch on understanding myself. And you asked how we got there, doing exactly what we're doing today, setting together, being open, being vulnerable, telling the truth, even when it hurts, even when it's scary, and even when I've never said it before. And finding that vulnerability is the way through. You get there by going through the fire, by going where it hurts. You can't avoid it. You can't deny it. You can't explain it away. Set in it and, and let the emotion and the feeling of it course through you and let it run its course. Then we arrive at that place where oh, I'm a new person. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a comment Go ahead, Jim. No, I was just going to say, in, 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 all, in my work, I call it self-education. You know, I'm not a therapist. I don't do therapy. But we all have a human right to educate ourselves, right? To become our next better self. And sometimes that is plowing through all of that stuff Aaron just talked about. But it's in the name of me educating me so I can bring more of my own power and being and fullness into my life. And so self-education is everybody's right as a human. You don't need anybody's permission to self-educate. We happen to do it in, in, in circles a lot because it is, it is easier, has a certain level of comfort and connectivity when I can do it in the presence of other humans doing the same thing. And sometimes it is wild and passionate, like that film, The Work. That's still just self-education. Sometimes it's it's us just sitting here owning our failed marriages and and that, you know, we were in an abusive relationship. It's still self-education at a fundamental level. And everybody's entitled to that. That is your, that's your God-given right to educate you to be a better human every day, all day long. So... Yeah. yeah, and and we and we do and we actually do education, education too. I mean, we have a class uh, in our weekend about what are feelings. You know, what is a feeling? What does it feel like? To, what is anger? What is sadness? You know, what is shame? And it turns out, especially for men, I, I don't speak for women, but for men, most men don't know what the feelings are. They 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 don't understand. I'm having this big sensation. What is that? And um, and we literally have to be like, oh, that's that feeling you're experiencing now. That's what we call shame. That's what we call anger. And so then we practice, oh, what I'm feeling shame right now or I'm feeling anger. And so we get we do develop a literacy and an ability to be really sensitive and to be like, oh, there's that thing. Wow. It's coming up. There's the shame or there's the there's that fear. You know, I had a lot of fear during COVID. Right. There's that fear again. Oh, it's coming up. What do I now? What do I do with it? You know. And that's where the accountability and choice around my feelings comes up. I don't have to be uh, kind of swept away in the same way as I used to be because I can have a sense of here's this thing happening and I've experienced this before and now I have some choice points and I have all the support. I have all the support to talk about it with, with other people. When, uh, we have, when we have new people come into our circles too, and I can speak personally to this my biggest fear was if I open that box to my emotions, I'll never get it closed again. No way am I going to open that box. It's such a common fear. And what people don't realize or what I came to understand 
is I knew all those emotions. I lived with them day in and day out. I just hadn't spoken them. And I had not had other men model their own emotions. So I had no navigation chart whatsoever around that other than fear. The other thing that I wanted to bring in here is, you know, uh, trauma researchers are pretty much agreed on the fact that healing trauma, which is what we're talking about, what we want to grow in ourselves, what we want to mature or overcome in ourselves, that trauma is dealt with in a one-on-one -on -one sort of basis, individually, but communally as well. There is a real power in coming together as people have through all time to heal trauma, to come to understand what they don't understand. So we've not invented anything new with our particular form of men's group, but we have reclaimed something that humans have done through all time. They come together to look at the trauma that affects their lives and understand it. Tribal work. That's yeah. what I call it. It's tribal work. We're all human. We're all part of the same tribe. And I'm, I'm always struck when, when we talk about this. How do we, it's the human dynamic. There's something healing in that. I could, yeah, my body, if I cut myself, I, I scab over, I heal. But the inside part of me heals faster with others because I'm supported by compassion, mercy. I'm supported in my vulnerability, which makes me stronger. I'm supported in a way emotionally that I can't support myself with. You know, I'm always fond of the saying that Bharataji says, you know, the work is, it's great when we do a four day and we do, we do the focus and we get that, we hone what we got to do. But the real work is done in our everyday life, applying what we've learned about ourselves, the self-education that Jim talks about. You know, we, we teach ourselves something, then we have to stretch. We have to yep. begin to apply that in our life and try it. Exactly. You know? So just got a quick question, guys, if you wouldn't mind, from a member of the audience. Uh, this is uh, John Craft. And, uh, Snake, you were touching on this j just now. But uh, what does what does healing actually kind of look like once we've got there? What's what, what's the goal here internally? You know, I, I'd best offer an answer to that in terms of I feel relief that I experience healing as a certain measure of understanding, a certain measure of compassion, uh, a certain measure of being accepted and valued. Uh, all those things combined, I end up feeling a physical release. That pressure, how I oftentimes refer to it as emotionally compressed. When I'm emotionally compressed and seek a way to decompress, I'll take some men aside and lay out what's going on with me. At the end of that, it doesn't take away the trauma. It doesn't take away the issue. But I feel a sense of relief that it's off my chest. So healing means it's scabbed over, it's done, it's vanished. No, even when you cut yourself, it leaves a scar, and that scar will be there. The question is, do I act out of that scar for the rest of my life, or do I recognize it for what it is, 
feel the relief and change my behavior or my attitude around that particular thing. And that's the self-awareness. Well, and the depth of healing is, is, is can be a really potent thing dependent on our own backstories, right? Mm-hmm. And so that place where however I manifested maybe, uh, you know, a hurt to others, um, like I did in my marriage, one of the things I had to come to terms with, not only was the accountability piece we've been talking about, to stand in front of my ex and look her in the eye and let her see me in the fullness hmm, of my shame about it, of my disappointment in me about it, of my awareness of the harm that I had just rained down on her head and my daughter's head, to let her see me in all of that without hesitation, right? But I also had to go inward and downward inside to look around and see where are all the other places I have done something similar? Where are all the other places that something like that was done to me where I have been betrayed or harm has been caused me? And what is, what is the thing that I am going to have to learn about me from all of this experience that lets me develop an ease with it? I think you call it relief, but to me it's about getting back to an ease with my own relationship with myself because my relationship has been bent and distorted all to hell because of the event. So how do I get back to an ease with me and a peacefulness with me? And I haven't forgotten about what I did. There's not a day that goes by that I don't remember what I did, right? Um, But it's about, it doesn't disturb me like it used to when I was living right in the middle of that particular piece. And I hadn't been accountable for it, nor had I done the internal work of getting back to a place of coming to terms. And I think the coming to terms speaks to something Aaron said, which is, I got to see what I got to learn from this. And then I got to go out in my life and apply it every day. And that is fucking hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard to live this stuff every day. Yet it is in that living it and trying to every day of learning and that new wisdom that the E starts coming in back in a deli slice at a time, as I call it. Just a deli slice at a time. It gets a little bit easier to be me in my life again. A little bit easier, a little bit easier. I think that's what healing looks like. It's both sides of that dynamic. I'm in. What I love is that we all come at this and we explain it differently, but I understand what you're saying. So the example I would use for me for healing, say when me and Dave were 12 years old, Dave punched me in the nose on the playground. And I would, if you believe in like energetic principles or how pain works through the body, through nerves, how memories are formed, Dave has given me some energy that I'm holding on to. And it may have been his anger and and my it may have been my wrong that started it, but I'm holding on to that energy and a memory, and my body remembers what it feels like to go from my nose to that memory, right? And the relief this stake talks about is when I begin to work on it and I can get to a place where I can accept my accountability in it, Dave's accountability and whatever my judgment is, and actually forgive Dave, that energy begins to dissipate through me. That memory is not as poignant right there. And every time I see Dave, I'm not worried Dave's gonna punch me in the nose. Or this resentment that I have built up about Dave that really harms us being in relationship to each other. Not mm-hmm. that he would ever punch me in the nose. I love Dave. Dave's a great <laughs> but but the I would example, definitely never punch you, Aaron. <laughs> never. I no, I'm scared. That's that jujitsu. I'm scared of that. <laughs> but it's that principle that however you get there, whatever you believe, how it moves through your body, I carry a pain and an ache. 
And it may not actually physically hurt, but emotionally, in my heart space, I'm hurt. And that relief allows me to heal. And, and like Snake says something really, really, really poignant to me. When I, when I heal, it doesn't go away. There's always, in my mind, it's a scar. There's always going to be a scar there. The question is, is it a huge, long, unhealed, jagged, raggedy scar that still leaks pus? Or has it been cleaned and bandaged and given the opportunity to heal and serves as a reminder for two things for me? Don't let people hurt you like this. Or number two, don't hurt people like this for me. Mm-hmm. Works. Yeah. I'm curious what... I'm curious what Dave's got to say about this because, you know, Dave, in your professional position, defending oftentimes the undefendable, how does healing factor into that for you personally? Well, I mean, a lot of it is this is this aspect that Jim and Aaron and you you all talked about, which is, you know, when something comes up and I wince inside of like, Oh, I remember that thing. Oh, and it just sends me into this, like you said, contraction, clenching, like, Oh, I wish that never happened. I don't want to think about it. And then I kind of go into repression. Okay. Something else, something else Let's think about something else when I can have that memory and it doesn't cause me to wince. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that thing that happened, that sucked. That was, that was bad. I don't want to do it again. And yet I, it, it made me who I am. I learned something from that. And now mm-hmm. I can use that as fuel as, as I can re I can transform that energy, right? Aaron, it can go, it can alchemize it from being the hurt energy to, to a heal to I, now I can use it as a healing energy. I can put it back out as a healing energy. Um, but um, what I, in, in my, in my work, what I see so often is just that uh, the, in, in this impact of prison, when we take somebody who's done something uh, to break the social contract, and then we essentially lock them in a cage with that wound without any help, without any support, yeah. without any ability to affect that. We're, we're ba- it's literally torture, right? You're literally putting them in, the, in a torture place with a, a wound that can never be healed. And so that's where the inside circle and this work inside is such a gift to say, hey, you don't have to be alone with that with that pain anymore. We can, we can take some of it. We can share some of that with you and we can all lift each other up. Um, mm. And so I think it's in that, in that isolation is really what the justice system perpetrates. It perpetrates isolation on offenders. It perpetrates isolation on victims and families. It, per, it separates as opposed to coming together. Mm. Well, well, I'm looking at the clock now too. Mm. And one of the things we do in groups here to f- close them up is to do a quick checkout. And I'd like to suggest that we do that right now. Again, it's kind of the inverse of how we started. Where are you sitting right now? Uh, uh, I'll start that off. It's, uh, yeah, I'm grateful to have been like you in my life. Uh, the, the, the range of experience and what, We've all done with it in our own individual ways. Uh, I'm sitting here feeling like a very rich man right now, and I want to thank you for that. So I'm out with that. Hmm. So I've learned, I mean, what I'm feeling super grateful about right now, and it's really going to help me, I think, forgive myself and all all the various terrible affronts that I've, I've done over the years, 
it is listening to you guys just express yourselves and thinking there may be a key there towards a path about how I can express my own emotions more authentically and more lyrically and more constructively. I've been in a position where I've been thinking to myself, well, everyone says men should express their emotions more, but every time I do it, I just get told that I shouldn't be feeling Ooh. like that way. I get <laughs> shamed for feeling that way. And I get kind of told, yeah, that wasn't really the kind of emotions I wanted you to express anyway. So <laughs> listening to you guys be kind of vulnerable and truly authentic and very, very poised with, with the way you express these these very difficult things about yourself has been quite inspirational. Uh, and I only hope that I, I can learn to do it a little bit more like that myself. Hmm. Jim, out. Um, really grateful to just remember how, while I had started working on myself uh, three, four years before I got into the men's work and later on into the inside circle work, um, it's really grateful for all of the magical men, including some of you who have just been part of helping me find the courage to go inside and do the easing work that I needed to do. I don't, I don't know that I would have gotten there on my own. And so there's not a day that goes by that I just don't remember the thousands of circles that I've set in where really powerful, mature men could help me find my way back to my own power and my maturity. So thanks for giving me an hour or so of that this morning. I'm grateful for that. I'm out. Uh, I'll check out with like, I'm really like living right here right now. I'm really grateful for all the work that you guys did to lay the foundation and to walk into a dark place, which is what Folsom was a very dark place with a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of death. And to basically just put your hand out and say, don't trust me, but I can help you if you'll help yourself. And, and that's the one thing is, you know, me and me and snake go way back, way back. And I'm just grateful that you men are willing to traipse into those dark places and to be the first to be the pathfinders and blaze away into prison because there's so much there, you know, we're short on time, but there's just this huge, huge sadness. And it, it's torture. Dave hit it on the head to not be able to have the place to work on myself where I can reconcile and begin to heal myself. So then I can say, hey, I'm sorry. And, and I struggled with that. And the truth is, I did not go to prison and become a choir boy and participate in groups. I kept going. And I kept hurting people for a long time until I just, someone said, here's how you don't hurt people. And I'm grateful to everybody on the panel today. It's been a great discussion, man. I'm in. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll join in the, in the gratitude and, uh, and the love. I, uh, you know, uh, you three men uh, that I've known for a long time. I mean, you're literally some of the most powerful wise men I know. And what, but what really comes through for me is the humility, right? Where none of us are here trying to say, I got the answer. We're actually <laughs> genuinely curious to hear what everybody else is going to say, because mm -hmm. I know I'm going to learn something. And what I see in this conversation is it, is it regenerated something new. This is, this is a new understanding of forgiveness uh, for me coming out of this, of, of accountability, of getting clean, like, 
taking care of myself. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling hope. I feel hopeful that when conversations like this can happen, that's how things are going to really start to turn and improve in our world. And, and it gives me great, great inspiration. Thank you. Hmm. So we, we've got a viewer comment here from um, World Without War, awesome nickname, uh, handle, sorry. Uh, he says, the Greek word for forgiveness translates as being able to stand in the same space again with that person. Mm. It sounds like it's about being able to stand in the same mm. place with yourself as well. Yeah. yeah. Guys, thanks enormously. Where, um, what, 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 any last thoughts that you guys are really keen to get across? And how can people get in touch with Inside Circle? Well, you can reach out to any one of the four of us. We're all interconnected. But my specific email is Aaron at InsideCircle.org. And we're InsideCircle.org. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Aaron Burris, Jim Mitchell, Dave Klaus, and our own Snake Bloomstrand. Thank you so much for the discussion this afternoon. We are back on December the 8th. Now, that's a Tuesday night, all right? Now, if Tuesday's too fun for you, Wisdom Track Podcast. And we're doing a special episode uh, where Mike Fisher, the founder of the British Association of Anger Management, and I will be going through practical tips for keeping cool this Christmas. So it's, it's a bit of an ask me anything kind of episode not ask me anything ask mike anything you can ask me things but you're better off asking mike I promise. <laughs> and uh so you just get in touch admin at angermanage.co.uk with any questions you've got or just hit up the facebook hit up the twitter hit up the instagram which we've got now as well now remember from december the first we're doing anger awareness week Get on angermanage.co.uk. You'll find a bunch of free resources for keeping yourself on the straight and narrow throughout the traditionally su stressful, not successful, stressful Christmas period. Also, we're taking a deep dive into passive aggression. So if you suspect you may be passive aggressive or you maybe know some other people who are passive aggressive, I think we all know one or two, suspect we know one or two, then you can get on angermanage.co.uk and find out some details about that, about how you can find some help with our organization. Thank you so, so much for being with us this afternoon. Uh, cheers, everyone. Thank you and good evening. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Mike Fisher has been in the personal and professional development field for over three decades. Some of you might know Mike already, attended his anger management programs, or even read some of his books on anger. I'm talking to you today to introduce his new web launch, The Wisdom Track. If you split the word wisdom, you get wise domain. In other words, to inhabit the domain of the wise. And that's the purpose of the Wisdom Track. It's a platform to engage with wise thinking in order to reaffirm who we are in the world and our place in it. It's easy to get lost in the barrage of information that is spewed out to us in every direction daily. 
but are we able to discern what is true, false, or even critical? We are subjected to the slights of misinformation with hidden agendas, but do we ever stop to think whether this is enriching the mind or poisoning it? Are we shaping ourselves, or are we allowing all these messages to shape us? Despite all the connectivity of technology, has it in fact made us more vulnerable to being shaped by external forces? And how does this affect our awareness or consciousness, both individually and collectively? You see, there's a personal element to wisdom too. It's different for all of us. It's about finding yourself, knowing what your boundaries and values are, and having a clear dialogue with your inner voice that instinctively knows what's the best course of action for you. We have an inner landscape that is important for us to inhabit, otherwise we lose touch not only with ourselves, but with our place in the world, our purpose, and our environment. We are already witnessing the consequences of this disconnection in our world, the lack of care, respect, and connection towards each other, as well as our one and only planet. COVID-19 has given us a rare opportunity to stop consuming and bring our focus into what is essential. So, what is essential for you? Sometimes becoming wise is about asking different questions. The Wisdom Track platform is a place where we can do all of that, where we get to talk, share, listen, and evolve together.